Uh, so, but having come to that understanding, God just completely transformed my uh, perspective of work. I, I realized that my working job definition became to contribute to a better society as seen through the eyes of God. And then if I was called to business, well, what is the distinctive that business brings to society? How does it make society better? And I, out of that, then conclude really the fundamental business purpose of business is to serve. Welcome to the Generosity Now podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of generosity and whole life stewardship. Our goal is to showcase individuals and organizations making a positive impact in our communities and across the world. I'm your host, Eric Most, president of the National Christian Foundation, Rocky Mountain Region, and I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Lori Bossert, VP on our team. On today's podcast, we have Linda and Barry Rowan joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. It's great to be here. Uh, so glad. Today, we happen to be recording live from your beautiful home here in Steamboat, Colorado. What it, what a joy it is to be here with you today and to, to share this beautiful spot. We're looking out across the mountains and uh, the ski resort uh, when there is snow. Right now, we're summertime, and so no snow on the mountains, but uh, such a beautiful place. So thank you so much for sharing the space with us. It's our pleasure. Yeah. We have a lot to talk about today, um, and so I just want to jump right in. Uh, we want to get to know both you, Barry, and Linda, and hear about, um, Barry, you've recently written a book that's going to be coming out, or actually just came out like a week before we dropped this podcast, and so we want to talk about that, and and God has done um, great work in and through your lives and your story, and so we want to hear a little bit about that and uh, and just just have a fun conversation. So, so Barry, would you give our listeners, though, a little overview of who you are, um, where you're raised, how you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Sure. I was raised in uh, Idaho. Uh, both my parents were veterinarians. Interestingly, my dad grew up in New York City, and my mom grew up in South America, graduated from high school in Santiago, Chile, and they ended up in this small little town in Idaho. And so we grew up on a small ranch. Uh, there were six kids in eight and a half years, so we had our own football team. Yeah. It was a great, great way to grow up. Uh, my first job was feeding the chickens when I was five years old for two cents a day. So they taught us the power of work from an early age. Uh, and we really had a, a great upbringing there. My, my dad was of Jewish heritage. My mom was Catholic. We were raised in the Catholic Church. So we, we went to church every Sunday and was a big and important part of our lives. And then went off to college and got a degree in chemistry and business and um, continued to go to church. And your, to your question about how I really came to know Christ, it was actually through a crisis of meaning and work. When I was in my late 20s, I had graduated from business school, I joined a startup company that was growing really fast, was the 110th fastest growing company in the US, but this question of why am I alive and by what measure will I judge the success of my life just began to haunt me. And it was out of that crisis of meaning and work that created a doorway for God to meet me there. And at a Young Life camp actually in Colorado, I found myself up on that camp overlooking the beautiful Arkansas River Valley and was just um, accosted by this anguish that was growing mm -hmm. in me. And I think the, the harmony of nature reveals the disharmony in me. And I was very disharmonious and said, I'm not willing to go on living a divided life. And, uh, and God in his infinite wisdom had to uh, show me purpose in life in order to provide a context for meaning and work. Uh, so over the next uh, eight months, I read 16 books. I stopped going to church because I thought it was hypocritical to worship a God I no longer knew existed. And God had to take me down to total bedrock. Mm. And out of that, I concluded, as the lawyers would say, based on the preponderance of the evidence, I think it's more likely that God exists than he doesn't. And so I said, I'm going to put all my chips on that belief. And then it was, okay, if you've concluded that, well, what are you going to do about Jesus? And concluded that 
uh, he is either a raging lunatic or he is who he says he is. And I thought, no, he is who he says he is. And therefore, we need to believe what he says. And when he says, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And that was it for me. It was uh, out of a, an act of surrender, uh, but with heel marks in the sand that I came into a really a living, uh, loving relationship with Christ. Uh, but it still didn't answer the question of meaning and work. That was over the next eight years that I ended up writing 350 pages to myself, mostly in the middle of the night, to help answer that question. And God had to really just transform my whole perspective of work. And that was actually the genesis of the book that you just mentioned. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. And Linda, how about, how about yourself? Tell us about your own journey and growing up and uh, surrender to God. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, for me, it was more of a gentle journey. I'm going to say I was raised in a loving family. My dad, a pure Swede, um, uh, being a pure Swede, we attended the uh, and were very involved in the Lutheran church. When I went off to college, the school I attended was a walking campus. Most freshmen and sophomores did not have automobiles. Um, and the only church on campus, which was brilliant, by the way, was the Newman Center. So everybody went to the Newman Center. Or didn't didn't matter what denomination or even if you even knew God at that point. That's just where all the students went. And the priest was cool. He was relatable and everyone was welcomed at the table. It wasn't until I was 29 that I first heard about a deeper relationship with uh, Jesus Christ. And it was through some very dear friends that we had met um, after moving from Boston to Colorado. And that was the beginning of the understanding what it meant to me to surrender my life, my career, my time, my resources to our Lord Jesus Christ. With a background in finance and CPA, working with um, Hewlett Packard at the time, once I made that deeper commitment, I wanted to understand the blueprint. I wanted to understand the Bible. And God gently led me through, um, through a suggestion of the priest of the church we were attending at the time to um, attend BSF International as they didn't have any Bible studies mm -hmm. at that point. And that, um, you know, I remained involved with that for the next 20 years, which took me into that deeper dive and deeper surrender of my life to Christ. I'm just fascinated because I think what I just heard is that God touched both of you in very different ways, but in a very similar time frame. So take us back a little bit and draw out the time, you know, how long have you been married? What's your family and how those two timelines connected together? Well, I'll, st I'll kick it off and then Barry could chime in. So we've been married 42 years, 42 wonderful years. We are still best friends, love the adventure of life. And um, when we came together, because at uh, having attended the school and, and everybody went to the Catholic Church at that point, um, it was a seamless transition for, for me anyway to continue with Barry, who was going to the Catholic Church at that time. And when we moved to Boston, very... Uh, Right after we were married, within two weeks, um, we continued in that tradition of going to church and worshiping um, together um, in that surrendered uh, surrendered faith, but involved, but again, not understanding that personal relationship. It would be we were 29, both of us at about the same time. So I'll let Barry take it from there. 
Yeah, I think, Lori, one of the great gifts of our marriage actually is coming to a surrendered faith at the same time. Mm. You know, through very different journeys, as you point out, mine was kicking and screaming into the kingdom of heaven. Linda was gracious, which is probably a picture for our whole lives. (laughs) But uh, anyway, it was just such a gift that that could happen. And and we consider ourselves followers of Jesus. And coming out of that, we are comfortable worshiping in the Catholic tradition, the Protestant tradition. And that really raised our kids in in a home where we said we would like them to be comfortable in the same way. So mm-hmm. we're grateful for having come to that relationship with Jesus and the adventure that it's led to in the 42 years of marriage. So we've moved 16 times, been to 49 countries, and it's a it's an adventure that none of us could have ever expected. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so 16 moves that has to probably also relate to some of your 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 work career and that's how about you, you just let our listeners know a little bit about that background. And, uh, and, and then, and that'll kind of even flow into like the learnings that you've had over the years of, of, of work and leadership. Mm. Sure. Uh, so Lynn and I very much view it as a partnership. So she made a decision, um, really, I think prompted by the Lord to stay home, which was a surprise to both of us. And she was a great mom to our kids. And because she did what she does, I was able to do what I mm-hmm. do. And, uh, in fact, she made more money than I did for the years that she was working. And I thought it was awesome. So, mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, uh, she was very successful in her own right as by the world standards, but I, I really spent 40 years helping to build or turn around technology driven companies. So it was uh, involved with eight businesses over that period of time. Six of the eight were successful. I usually talk more about the ones that weren't because I think we have a lot to learn from failure, but but it was a, it was a great career and it was really an opportunity to express my faith through my work. And some were startups and some were of significant scale, one company selling for $10 billion. Um, but all through that was this transformed perspective of work that found expression in what I did. And after coming to that understanding in my late 30s, uh, my work life and my entire career was really animated and energized by that. So, But that's really where I spent my professional life is uh, building or turning around businesses. I never thought I would have been a turnaround guy. Um, And I worked for four public companies in that time. About 70% of my career was as a chief financial officer and the balance as a CEO or president. So I had the kind of operational side as well as the financial side. Mm. Including four public companies. Wow, wow! Um, uh, what what a gift of uh, of even uh, leadership and, and having um, somebody who um, is surrendered to God in the in the leadership of these businesses as well, in, in very secular businesses though. And so, how did that play out? How did you? Was there conflict as it relates to your your walk with the Lord and your surrendered life as it related to also leading these businesses um, in uh, uh, in uh, yeah, um, in the secular secular world. Uh, well, there was huge conflict, which was what raised the question for me about you know, really, literally, why am I alive? And mm. and at the next layers down, by what measure will I judge the success of my life? And the real question and challenge for me was how do I connect what I'm doing in this moment to my purpose in life? And the silly little example I sometimes use is if we have somebody working for us who's uh, working on an Excel formula, an Excel spreadsheet that's part of a strategic plan, well, how does that connect to my purpose in life? Yeah. Because I wanted to live an integrated life, one life under God. And, and it was very conflicting for me and caused a lot of anguish because I couldn't do that. And in retrospect, for 17 years, I was a wrestling of that around that question, dating back to when I was in college, what major should I choose to, you know, as I described, uh, really coming to a surrendered faith out of a crisis of meaning and work. But, uh, so, but having come to that understanding, God just completely transformed my uh, perspective of work. I, I realized that my working job 
job definition became to contribute to a better society is seen through the eyes of God. Mm -hmm. And then if I was called to business, well, what is the distinctive that business brings to society? How does it make society better? And I, out of that, then conclude really the fundamental business purpose of business is to serve. And I think there, we could have a long conversation about that, but there are four major ways I think about that. So responsible value creation is one thing that business does. If you've ever thought mm -hmm. about it, you know, business is really the only institution that creates economic value and every other institution distributes it. And not that money is the solution to the world's problems, but but value creation uh, is the hallmark of a well-functioning society mm -hmm. because it's evidence that people are released to contribute to their potential and they're constrained by the society. So responsible value creation, serving customers, uh, creating an environment for employees that enables us all to grow into the full expression of ourselves or being a good corporate citizen. And so when I began to see that, uh, I realized that I had made, I was basically living life wrong. Mm -hmm. I was living it from the outside in instead of the inside out. I thought, if I just get the right job, somehow I'll be filled up. Uh, when the deeper truth is um, that all that we do finds, or all that we are in Christ in us finds expression in what we do. So I was trying to derive meaning from my work instead of bringing meaning to the work. And it's God's perspective of the work that brings meaning to it. So for me, the challenge was even more pronounced in a, quote, secular setting. Mm -hmm. uh, and the onus is on us more than, you know, if you're a pastor or a doctor or a teacher, there's more sort of intrinsic value in the work. It's more obvious. Mm -hmm. If you're in business where the, the ostensible purpose is to make money, then the onus is on us to bring that meaning to the work. But I think it can be just as holy, just as important, and just as noble a calling as any of those other callings. But it's a matter of bringing the right perspective mm. to it that brings meaning to it in a way that animates our lives and, and the people we work with. Mm. Yeah, you make me think of um, uh, missionary C.T. Studd um, has an incredible poem. Um, if you've never read about C.T. Studd or, or missionary, I encourage you to go take a look at him. Um, but uh, this one poem, it's one of my favorite. It's, it's titled, One Life Twill Soon Be Passed, Only What's Done for Christ Will Last. And as you as you were even talking about um, um, Excel formula work, I try not to do any Excel formula work. Lori uh, loves doing <laughs> Excel formula work, but but even in that work, doing it for the glory of God, right, and doing it for that end as well. And so uh, that that just was kind of screaming at me while you're talking. Yeah, and just to finish the thought, I mean, so how does an Excel formula connect to our purpose in life? It's probably obvious by now, but but let's say you're doing it for a strategic plan and you want to get the formula right, so the strategic plan will be right. So the business can be successful and literally fulfill its God-ordained purpose. So if I am called to work in a business environment that has as those elements, it's really distinctives in God's creation. Well, it's important to get the formula right. And that ties into my entire purpose in life to contribute to a better society as seen through the eyes of God. So once those connections get made, it, it's exciting and energizing and, and enlivening to work in even in a place like business. Barry, something you said really touches my heart and just makes me really ponder because so often we humans are looking for to be important in a place. And sometimes we even look at our churches and we're consumers at our church instead of taking the perspective of being the church to others where we're giving value and we're being a part. And and that's it to me, it mirrors what you said about in business. And I just want you to say it again. And I think I have the words, but I correct me if I don't have them in your words, that 
being in business is all about, it's not about what we get from business. It's about what we give. It's about giving God's character to others while we're working because it's all about people. It's about the relationships. It's about living out God's purposes in work and giving value to that work. Yeah, I think that's well said, Laurie. And I've, for, just to add to that, for, for me, for both Lynn and me, the starting point is surrender. So it has to start with surrender. And we worship a gracious God and who will not impose himself on us. But when we surrender our lives to him, answer Jesus' call to come follow me, it gives him permission to do his work in us. And that's why surrender is so important. And as we as we do that, over time, we become less so that he can become more. And in fact, we become nothing so that he himself can pour himself into us and then into the world. And, and to your point about kind of achievement, and I had the input pipe and the output pipes hooked up backwards is one way to say mm. it, is that uh, I thought if I, can, if I achieve, I will be filled up by that achievement. And instead, it really starts from John telling us that we love because he first loved mm -hmm. us. And so as God loves us, then that, that flows out into the world and in, in the form of achievement of high standards and doing things with excellence. But it's not so that it fills us up. It's an expression of Christ in us. And as we go farther down the path and it truly becomes no longer we who live, but Christ living in us, all of that sense of his love, of his care, of his high standards, of his desire to treat people with dignity and respect is what hopefully flows out of us and finds expression in the world. And I would just add one other point to that, uh, because it's also something I've, I've had it wrong for so long in so many ways. There's another way I've had it wrong. Uh, it's the difference between striving versus abiding mm. and the, the world tells us strive and you know strive for achievement and all of that and and Lynn and I both have high standards and you know we want to see things done well and it's not at all a compromise to that but it's a difference between striving and abiding remain in me and I will remain in mm -hmm. you and as again we become less and, and the spirit of the living God comes into us more and we remain in him and he remains in us that is what will flow out from us and into the world and it leads to this life of um, wholeness and completeness and peace and joy and not having to be in control of everything, but to uh, recognize that we worship a creator who is. Hmm. I would actually describe what you just talked about is also the life of being generous. It's being generous because you recognize it's all God's. And if we've received redemption from God and all of the gifts and all of our skills from God, it's all his. We've got that surrender of being generous. Therefore, we want to share it with everybody else. And we want other people to have the same thing. We so desire for everybody else to come to that faith. But also, in we're not looking to, to do things for ourselves. We're looking to do things for other people. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's not about the 10%, it's about the 100%. Mm -hmm. You know, everything yes. belongs to God. You know, we often talk about generosity in terms of financial wealth, and yes, that's important, but it's about, as Linda said, it's about our financial wealth, it's about our time, it's about our very selves, mm -hmm. and it's also a progression. And I think for those folks who are listening, for us all to take encouragement from the fact that this is not a one-and-done proposition. Yes. <laughs> I'll give you an example for me uh, out of my recent career. So my, the last public company I was a part of was GoGo. And many of you know that. It is the company that puts Internet on airplanes. And I joined, uh, and GoGo turned out to be a double turnaround followed by a comprehensive transformation is the way we described it to the Wall Street Journal. Mm. Um, but joined the company, and we got it completely turned around. And um, we announced earnings 
I remember it distinctly. It was um, Friday the 13th in March, uh, uh, two days before COVID hit. So we announced quarterly earnings as a public company. Two days later, um, COVID hit, and we, of course, in the aviation business, and, you know, flights were only down 96% in the first month. So it was a dramatic shift in the business model. Yeah. And it was during Lent, and the way I describe it is it was an unrelenting Lent, mm. and and it was a really Lord, and I wrestled with that. And it's like, oh, we just finished. I don't know if I have the energy to do this. But out of th- that anguish and over the next few weeks, a clarity came to me, and it really was a sense of God saying, are you willing, Barry, to go from reluctant obedience to joyful generosity? Mm. Um, to your question about generosity, Lori. And it was, are you willing to give generously of yourself? I'd seen this movie before. Uh, this one was perhaps a little bit more of a nightmare than yeah. some of the, some of the uh, or a horror movie than some of that I had seen. But but nonetheless, I'd, I'd been a part of turnarounds. I had a you know pretty clear sense of what to do. Uh, but out of that, it was yes, Lord. And but it was a progression. You know, it was a bit of a Garden of Gethsemane to say yes, Lord. I will follow your mm. purposes, and I will give generously and hopefully joyfully of myself. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be a phenomenal turnaround. But I hadn't worked that hard since I was in my twenties. Lynn and I uh, canceled vacations and and all the rest. But but it's an act of giving completely of ourselves for the benefit of others. And I would just add one comment to that. It's a great question about the generosity, but it's also in in the journey and it's a continuum is that God would invite us not only giving generously, but with no, with, uh, with no strings attached. Mm-hmm. We're not expecting to receive anything back. Mm-hmm. And that was a whole different level of invitation of what surrender and generosity meant um, to me and to us is that there were no, there were no strings attached. We had no expectations, but to freely give it with open hands to where God was inviting us of our time, our talent, our treasures, and especially in corporate America, but in the communities that we served. Hmm. Yeah, b- before we hit uh, record, we were talking, and actually over dinner last night, Linda, about uh, your own journey, and and Barry hinted at this, had a, had a very successful career yourself, actually, until the point that you decided, hey, I'm actually going to, in a lot of ways, maybe take the back seat and, and stay at home. Would you um, share about uh, some of that surrender journey for yourself? You're giving us a couple of great examples. I think it'd be really helpful for our listeners too. Thank you for that question. You know, actually, um, Eric, that surprised both Barry and I. Um, I was a career woman the whole way. As Barry mentioned, I always made more until I retired, until Barry did. He was very proud of touting that, that comment. Um, and uh, it would actually not be... My decision or our decision was God's invitation Mm. that took us to that place Mm. of prayer. When God tapped my heart to give up my career that I really loved and hang up my business suit and put on tennis shoes to be a stay-home mom raising our sons, uh, as I said, that shocked not only us, Mm -hmm. our colleagues, our family, because nobody ever thought that that would actually ever happen, but God had other plans for us. Um, And as I took that leap of faith, it was a leap of faith, because for me, I didn't fit that, that mold, whatever that mold was at that time, and God would gently reveal to me throughout different seasons of what that looked like and to bring that same level of intentionality to uh, now shifting and I managed everything so Barry could do well what he did uh, but intentionally uh, intentionality in raising our kids and um, there's one example of that is um, in the business world not only in public accounting but in in um, uh, in corporate America, and, and when I left HP, you know, we would take our teams off and do strategic planning, t- 
talk about the next year. And I thought, if I put that much energy and time with the staff in doing that, why aren't I bringing that same level of intentionality in raising our sons? So God would... Uh, open up for me um, something that I had read from somebody in the 1800s about spiritual inventory and spending a weekend away really doing every year a strategic plan process with God mm-hmm. um, what his intentions were in raising our sons what were the things we were going to be working on but it would be God and I alone praying mm-hmm. together and it was a gift Barry would give us so there was an example of when I made that transition, um, God allowed me to continue using the unique gifts and talents that he had had, um, revealed to me through public accounting and corporate corporate life of how I can continue contributing not only to the family, but wherever we moved, God invited me to invest that experience in the communities, in the schools, and so giving back even more fully and richly, if you will, in that mm. new role. Mm. Yeah, you were also talking, uh, and I'd love for you to share a little bit um, about the um, uh, influence of the Holy Spirit and prayer and praying the scriptures and then how that actually played out in ministry and how it does even today. Like you were even just sharing how uh, you were having a, a Zoom call with, with somebody on a planning event just recently and mm-hmm. and, and, and just break at, breaking into the scriptures and prayer as you open and close. So just share about a little bit about that and the importance of the Holy Spirit's work in and through uh, his word in prayer. Okay, thank you. That's a great question. Um, it's We talked about surrender. It's been a continuous journey for me and God um, um, teaching me actually to begin praying scripturally. And wherever we moved, God laid early on in my heart the importance of intentional prayer. Um, so back to that word of intentional, whatever we're doing. And I didn't know what that means. Whatever you ask in my name, it will be given unto you. And so I really sat with that. What does that mean? And um, God revealed to me anyway, it's it's praying scripturally. And in that process of that journey, wherever we moved, and as Barry mentioned, we moved 16 times, um, uh, God invited me to start a prayer group and uh, in the schools. And um, whether they, you know, whatever the schools were, whether faith-based or not, or Catholic, God invited me to start prayer groups and invite people to join along to pray for the faculty, for the students, um, for the needs of the families that went to the school. And it was a whole hour of intentional prayer once a week on campus and confidential. And so God, again, allowed me, afforded me that opportunity for that journey that I would never have expected when I was wearing my business suit at that time. Um, And to see the richness and the answers, God, um, as he moved mountains, if you will, for capital campaigns, uh, which we were always, everywhere we moved, there was a capital campaign. (laughs) And guess who got, you know, invited into that circle, Barry and I, right away um, with our our business and finance background. But um, it it was just a joy to see what God was doing um, through those programs. So you mentioned uh, even recently a call. God revealed to me that they're his plans. They're Mm -hmm. not my plans. Mm -hmm. And I, um, both Barry and I are perfectionists. And so I can often get in the way. God Uh, taps our heart to do something and I'm off and running and then I look over my shoulder is this the right direction God and so that prayer keeps me centered Mm. and starting and ending as appropriate it's not appropriate in every setting maybe I do it quietly but if appropriate I open with scriptural prayer and close the meetings in scriptural prayer and uh, just bathe it in Mm. that because it's we're surrendering with open hands what God is inviting us to do in that moment something I've heard from both of you um this morning and last night is 
you both actually are very diligent also in taking time away and you do it in many different ways. And Barry, why don't you jump in here and just give us an insight into some of your quiet times with God? Sure. Well, it started uh, as a discipline and then grew into res- into a craving, and I would describe it now as a responsibility. Mm. And for me, it started 10 minutes a day uh, after coming to faith. Lynn and I both wanted to understand God's word more. And, and it started that way with the upper room, 10 minutes a day, and it was a discipline. You know, it was, okay, just do this. And then I began to be drawn into this yearning for God. And, you know, I actually don't call them disciplines. You know, people say, well, I need to do the spiritual disciplines. It's like, is it a discipline to have to go out to dinner with your wife? You know, well, no, you look forward to that, right? And it's something you want to do together. So isn't it a joy to be able to say, to answer this invitation of Jesus, say, come be with me. And so it started that way. And then it grew into probably half an hour or an hour a day. And, and we developed uh, uh, some boundaries for ourselves about and what gave us life. And that was one of them was to spend time in prayer every day. And then when I was, uh, I guess, in my early 40s, I was a part of a group that was called the Spiritual Exercises in Everyday Life, where you met with actually a spiritual director once a week. And that meant a commitment of an hour a day to prayer. So that was growing in that case. And uh, and 90% of my prayer is listening. Uh, so it's entering into uh, God and entering into an experience of God. I've come to call it immersion prayer, that uh, God meets us where we are. And Lord, to immerse myself in in my circumstances with God, and that uh, He will He will um, do a kind of a uh, there's a there's a kind of a spiritual infrastructure that's usually going on. So we'll do an archaeological dig on that and say what is going on underneath that. And God will show me that well, the reason I was afraid yesterday at speaking at an investor conference was because uh, it was tied to pride because I cared about you know what people would think. And God will reveal those things through the five whys. So so as I spent more time in individual prayer. Uh, it, it really became listening and scripturally listening. And then the craving grew even more uh, to the point where we uh, took a purposeful pause after one of our businesses was sold and I was 50 and I'd worked so hard for 25 years. So Lynn and I decided to take a purposeful pause. It was more of a pause for me than for her because she was still doing her mm-hmm. thing. But it was very much a pause, pause for me that it would end up lasting three and a half years. And uh, one of the things I wanted to do on that was to take an extended retreat. So I did the first eight-day silent retreat then and it was a profound experience for me and I ended up then doing an annual retreat of a week most every year until a couple of times when the company just got so intense and we had to cancel vacations and I couldn't do that but but it's a really important part of my own life is just time with God and and then I retired from a corporate life in March of this year after we got GoGo successfully turned around and did the one thing on my bucket list for the month of April which was a month-long silent retreat with and it was the most profound and life-giving month of my life really and it was far from silent in fact uh, I wrote 375 pages during that time uh, which is twice as many words as are in the book that's coming that just came out so uh, but it was a very active conversation with God and it was just so enriching and life-giving and it was an experience of God's love and his leadership so for me that time of being alone with God and listening to him is a way for me to just grow into the intimacy with him. And so when I say it, it went from a responsibility or, or a, 
a discipline to a craving to a responsibility. It's a responsibility now because if I don't get that kind of time alone with God, that I'm kind of out of whack. And uh, it, it's just how we're wired is to be drawn into this deep richness with him. And so as a result, I've written over 10,000 pages in a journal. And uh, that's kind of my way of praying and writing my way through life with him. Mm. Yeah, so as you just even mentioned, the, the kind of retiring from full-time executive work, and you took that um, the silent retreat. Um, uh, you, you've now also been talking, and we we talked a little ago, a little while ago, that that you you speak about this next chapter of your life as your encore calling. Uh, could you give us a little bit more about like what you, what what that means, and what are you hoping to accomplish during this time for 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 you? Sure. Uh, and by the way, the, the silent retreat was fundamental to this next season because we wanted to lay the encore calling on the right cornerstone with Christ as the cornerstone. And then that was really the objective of this. And so Linda and I view this together as our encore mm-hmm. calling. Yeah. And, you know, we're not retired. We've, I've retired from corporate life, but haven't retired from life at all. So yes. in fact, the challenge is to not uh, work still 60 hours a week in, in this, but, um, but the encore calling for us is really an act of total generosity. And hopefully our whole lives have been that way. But, but particularly now that we want to give, our, give ourselves away through what we have come to describe as lines of service. So different lines of service. So we're investing in our family, um, uh, the poor, and the next generation. And the lines of service are, are walking with the poor. So we're very involved in Central America, uh, bringing clean water to them, which has been our most recent interest. We've made 22 trips to Central America over the last 15 years. And we can talk about how we got into that. But so it's walking with the poor. It's serving on corporate and nonprofit boards. It's a life of writing, speaking, teaching, and what we call holistic accompaniment, coming alongside people along the way and in in our journeys in holistic ways. So, uh, And then uh, even our house, we view as God's house of hospitality. So in our view, all of those things are connected with Christ at the center, and these lines of service are expressions of our gratitude, uh, hopefully in ways that can be a benefit to others. Mm. So good. So you you mentioned that that then was instrumental in also uh, uh, moving into this this encore calling, and also out of the fruit of that is this writing of the book, the Spiritual Art of Business, your first book. Could you give us an overview of the book and 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 who it is for, and why you felt even called to to write it? Yes. Well, it really grew out of my own struggle to find meaning in work, and as we talked about those three hundred and fifty pages, which have grown much more to much more beyond that, and. And as I've spoken many, many times around the country and around the world on this topic, it's just very clear that so many of us struggle with the same question. You know, why am I alive and what's the purpose of my work and how do I live a life that matters? And the 100,000 hours that are going to work, is it, is it really going to mean anything or not? And so the reason I wrote the book is because, one, is I understand the anguish. <laughs> I mean, I felt it deeply. But secondly is there's an answer. I mean, God is the answer, and there's an answer to the anguish in ways that can lead us into a life in our work that is life-giving. And so there's a big part of both Lynn and me that we love to see people come alive and to see that happen to them. So I thought, you know, if God can do that kind of work in me, he can do it in anybody. (laughs) And so the reason I wrote the book is because in recognition of the, uh, the people who wrestle deeply with this question, and uh, and to hopefully give them hope. And I don't really think of it as a book, honestly. I think of it as an invitation to experience God. And mm-hmm. the book is 40 Days of Guided Meditations. And the real purpose is 
to help people develop a life-giving perspective of our work as seen through the eyes of God. So it's, it's an invitation to come into that conversation. Uh, it's short chapters. It's built around uh, reflection. It really starts with scripture. There's something that's kind of the key takeaway, uh, stories of my own foibles, and I am pretty vulnerable in the book, uh, and then questions for reflection about, well, what part of your life have you surrendered or maybe not surrendered? Or, uh, so it's designed to enter into a conversation. That's great. So I've read part of the book, which I have been deeply, I just love it. And, but I didn't get the privilege of doing it in that 40 days um, as we were preparing for the podcast. And I do that 40 day because we all need to process this slowly. And those questions that you've given, and I, there's even a guide that they can download to help them walk through the book. I just see this book as such a great tool that groups of business people can get together, people from churches. This is a place where people can gather together, become vulnerable with each other on this 40-day journey, which I know you intentionally did similar to Jesus's 40 days and all of those you know, examples that God gave in scripture of the 40 days for us to be able to commit that time. But also we can do it alone, but in a group because that's where we learn so much from each other. And it causes us sometimes to put words to our vulnerability because that's really where we become, where things become real when we can say it, right? And that's what you learned by writing it. Yeah, and you know, it's not about writing a book for me. You know, it's about being uh, in some small way a catalyst to help people, really Christ-following leaders who are called to live fully for God in the world. That's really Linda's and my call. And, and we love pastors and all of that, but uh, and nothing wrong with that, of course. But to be called to live in the harshness of this world is a unique call. And so how do you do that in a way that doesn't compromise our faith, but is an expression of our faith? And so, so yes, to your point, Laurie, uh, transformation takes soak time. You know, you, you have to have soak time. And I think the way people are really transformed, it's in relationship over time. Mm -hmm. It's in relationship with God and with each other. And so uh, that's why we wrote the discussion guide. As you mentioned, you can download it on our website, barrylrowan.com. And it's designed to cover four sessions, so the four main segments of the book. And then the last segment and the last session is around integration. So what do I do with this and how does this become real for me? So the hope is that people would literally live differently as a result of this because it is less of them living in, and more of Christ in them living in the world. So, so that's the hope is to somehow be a part of God's desire to see the world transformed in his behalf. And I think I'll just add one other um, thought as I've observed Barry and what, uh, writing this. Um, you've been writing your whole life. I used I used to call Barry, I still do, a monk in a business suit. And he's always had this desire of, um, you know, putting uh, pen to paper and writing these thoughts down. Um, but one encouragement, too, is it. At this moment, every moment is just as holy as another one. Mm -hmm. And being fully present in the moment, as Henry Nowen says. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's a gift of this book. Somebody asked if I had read it through, and I said, I've lived it. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so good. What, um, what, what do you guys wish other Christians knew about surrender? Uh, a theme that, that really is evident in, in everything you guys talk about and how you live. Um, generosity and stewardship. Well, let's take those a little bit one at a time. I mean, I think what we'd really want them to know about surrender, I would say two things. One is it's all in. It's mm -hmm. 100%. Any of you does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. That's and right. So what is the next part of everything that we're being asked to give up? So 
So that's really the first point is it is it's we have a very loving God who loves us so deeply that he knows how he designed us. And the only way to live into the fullness of life to give our entire lives to him so he can fully occupy us, that we can live life to the fullest in the ways that he promised. So it's all in. So that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing is to recognize it's scary. um, But that fear and that scariness turns into freedom. Mm. Um, it's such an odd thing to say, but surrender is the gateway to freedom. Yes. As we give our lives up, we find freedom in Christ because we are living into the life that we were designed to live, and, it's, and it leads to joy. And that maybe leads to the question about generosity. I think for me, one of the things I'd want people to know about generosity um, uh, similarly is it's not about the 10%, as we talked about. It's yep. about the 100%, giving all of ourselves away. And that generosity is the foundation to joy mm-hmm. uh, because it causes us to hold things more loosely. It causes us to live out of an abundance mentality instead of a scarcity mentality. It causes us to live a life with open hands instead of closed fists, a life of giving instead of clinging. And as, as countercultural as that is, uh, to give our, ourselves away is the way to find the deepest fulfillment that we have. And so stewardship is very much the same. I mean, we view this life as God's life to live through us, whether it's through our time, our careers, our our wealth, uh, whatever that might be. And um, even in our kids, we're so grateful to have kids and now uh, who are married who who have faith have a faith that's very important to them. And now we have grandkids, and so our. Our real hope is that they can also experience this joy. Uh, and of course, it's not every day and it's not every moment. Um, but by and large, there's an underlying kind of sustaining joy. Uh, and for me, I'll just speak for myself, gratitude does not come naturally for me um, because I am much more focused on what's left to be done than what's been done, very achievement-oriented. And so that's where the orientation is. And And gratitude has not come naturally. But in the last... 10 years, it's, it's, it's seeped its way into my soul. <laughs> and I think we would probably say the same thing. And it's, it's, I'm grateful for gratitude. Can I just ask a question about that gratitude? Because a lot of us, I think, aren't gifted with that desire to be, you know, that gratitude because of the achievement part that we've been raised with. And again, how did it start? Did it start? I know what, how it started for me was I had to practice it. Like it's a muscle I had to actually use and I had to practice it and practice it so that I can then see it more. Yeah, it, um, well, first for me, it came from just having things to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and coming to Christ is the first place of that. When we begin to realize our need for God and then we see this vacuum that he fills in us so completely. And even then, uh, challenging situations and we've all we all go through when you get to be our age challenging situations and and particularly my business career they've been very very challenging situations and and to see how God uses the challenges to shape us so out of that is really my encouragement to people is embrace the pain embrace the pain because God is in the pain and God gives purpose to the pain and that is one of the gifts of following him. And so, so it causes us, oddly, to become grateful even for the challenges because we know that that is a source of growth for us, for example. So for me, it was first recognizing there are things to be grateful for. 
Um, and then it is a discipline too. It is, you know, that we might have eyes to see. I mean, I have, uh, uh, yes, I live a surrendered life, but Lynn and I are both planners and, you know, I have 10 page lists for my annual priorities. I don't call them goals anymore, but one of those is to, to look for the funny things in life and to look for plate reasons to be grateful. Some people keep a gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. And if you put, write down three things a day, you know, that's a lot of things you know, over the, the course of a year, you know, a thousand things. And so, so that practice I think is, is, really helpful as well but it but it does grow uh, and you also just see God deliver on his promises over and over one last point is uh when I was doing this silent retreat that it's kind of in four movements and the first movement is to slow down and experience the love of God and one of the little exercises was uh to rejoice uh in your life so far with God and it was a phenomenal exercise. And I started to talk about, well, here are the things I have to rejoice. I said, Lord, I don't want to hear myself talk. I want to hear you talk. And, and so 67 things came to mind as I was just walking down this path that I ended up writing down. And, and it's like, wow, Lord, we have a lot to rejoice in this life, you know, starting with the fact that I didn't die when I was born, which mm-hmm. almost happened. And so, so anyway, as you begin to see that and the reason for... Uh, uh, rejoicing, it just makes us grateful. But I think it, it, like I said, doesn't come naturally. I think it comes with age as well. You know, many studies reveal that as we get older, we get um, we get happier actually. Mm-hmm. So, and I will just add, there's um, so that's a great question. I think there's times, especially when you're <clears throat> you're in the thick of difficulties, and it's messy, and it's hard, um, and not to Pollyanna that. But to embrace that and, and, and know that this is real. But also in those moments, realizing things to be thankful for to God. And I was inspired by that, by something that um, Corey Ten Boom had said about her sister Betsy when they were in the concentration camp. And it was horrible. And yet here they had been serving God and helping the Jews escape. Mm-hmm. And yet they're in this concentration camp and it's filthy and it's dirty. The work is hard. They're underfed. And Betsy is praying and thanks God for the fleas. And that hit me. I thought, wow, how could she do that? And yet, God revealed that the guards would not come into that concentration room because the fleas were there so they could hold a Bible study. And I thought, wow, if, if Betsy can thank God for the fleas, and she would go on and never get out of the concentration camp. Yep. But she had that heart of seeing what God was seeing in the messiness and the difficulties. So that has encouraged me. And again, Barry and I, both um, perfectionists, I think gratitude is something that is more like you said, Lori, a muscle. And um, starting the day out, praising God and thanking him for this moment, even when we cannot see how God is going to utilize um, that difficult situation for his good and glory, Mm. but trusting him. Well, talking about being thankful for this moment, we're thankful for this moment, uh, this time of sharing. Uh, thank you for your vulnerability and openness and just even opening up part of your life. We could spend another hour here uh, mm-hmm. talking. I really do. Like, I had a whole list of other questions I wanted to ask you, and and and, and, you, and so we're just going to have to do this again. Um, uh, Barry, your book came out uh, as this, this podcast hits. It came out a week ago. So where can people find it? 
Well, you can buy it on Amazon. Uh, you can buy it on uh, University Press's website. So it's widely available. And yeah. you can download the discussion guide, like I said, from our website at barryalrowan.com, and it's free. That's great. That's great. And a great tool that can be even used in a, in a small group and gather around some, some other business folks. Uh, folks, it doesn't have to be a business leader just to gather around and think about their work and uh, the spiritual art of business. I love it. So, so thank you so much for the generosity of having that discussion guide available for download. Um, and, and we're going to go ahead and close now, though. And, and in that, we, we often close um, with a, a closing verse. And so uh, Lori uh, kind of actually said, put forward uh, today, Philippians 2.13. Barry, this verse just really reminded me of what I have seen in you. So, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. So on the Generosity Now podcast, we seek to inspire, equip, and connect our listeners for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. For more information um, on us at NCF, please check us out at ncfgiving.com forward slash Rocky Mountains. You can also send us an email at info at generositynow.org. And please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your network. It would be our joy. And go check out um, uh, Barry's book and look for future books. We talked of a whole cadre of more books in the pipeline. So thank you guys so much. It's been such a joy and uh, God bless.